What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Chad Barraford is a software engineer and technical lead for ThorChain. In this conversation, we discuss ThorChain, how it works, why cross-chain swaps are important, how Shapeshift adopted the system, and what the impact on DeFi will be. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Circle. They're a global financial technology firm that enables businesses of all sizes to harness the power of stablecoins and public blockchains for payments, commerce, and financial applications worldwide. Circle is a principal developer of USD Coin, or USDC. It's the fastest growing regulated, fully reserved dollar stablecoin in the world. They've got more than $13 billion in market cap, and they're adding nearly $300 million in net new digital dollars every week. You can get a free Circle account and their suite of platform API services that bridge the gap between traditional payments and crypto for trading, DeFi, and NFT marketplaces at Circle.com. I recently had Jeremy, the CEO, on the podcast. He did an excellent job. Very clear that they've got product market fit and growing quickly. Go check them out at Circle.com. Next up is Exodus, who is leading the world out of the traditional financial system by building beautiful and user-friendly blockchain products. They've got a focus on design and user experience. Exodus has become one of the most popular and loved cryptocurrency apps. They're supported on both desktop and mobile, and it allows you to sync your wallet across multiple devices so you can have access to your funds anywhere. You can instantly exchange around 100 different cryptocurrencies straight from your wallet, and they've got interactive charts that let you view an asset's price history and your portfolio's performance over time. And maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Treasure Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Go visit them at exodus.com for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. You won't find a more beautifully designed wallet, so go to exodus.com for a free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. Next up is Crypto.com. We've got over 10 million users, and it's the easiest way to buy and sell over 100 cryptocurrencies. You can download the Crypto.com app and use the code POMP to get $25. If you want to get all sorts of benefits, you can get the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and has amazing perks at Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime, along with giving you airport lounge access for you and a guest at hundreds of airports around the world. And of course, the Crypto.com Visa card gives you all of this with no annual or monthly fees to worry about. Get $25. That's right, $25 when you download the Crypto.com app today using the code POMP. You can go click on the link in the description as well. Crypto.com app, use code POMP, get 25 bucks. Last but not least is Masterworks. The Fed has committed to printing $120 billion every month and over $2.9 trillion in the next two years. Add in the $1.9 trillion of fiscal stimulus and $2 trillion infrastructure program, and most people are looking to protect themselves from inflation by investing in real tangible assets like art. But unless you got 10 mil, you ain't going to buy a Picasso by yourself. So the barriers to entry for this asset class have been too high until now. Masterworks.io is solving the problem. They've got an exclusive community of art investors who are looking to take advantage of this historically inefficient market. Masterworks.io lets you invest in paintings by artists like Banksy, Cows, and Warhol at a fraction of the entry price. From 1995 to 2020, contemporary art prices outperformed the S&P 500 by 172%. 
had a lower loss rate than gold and only virtually no correlation to equities. Head on over to masterworks.io and skip the 15,000 person waitlist today with promo code POMP. Masterworks.io, skip the waitlist, use promo code POMP. Go check them out at masterworks.io. All right, let's get into this episode with Chad. I hope you enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Chad here with me. Thank you so much for doing this. Yep, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you were the technical lead for ThorChain. Let's just jump right in. What is the problem that ThorChain is trying to solve? Well, I think the problem that ThorChain is trying to solve is that it's kind of funny this 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 ecosystem has built this decentralized idea of not requiring any centralized entity to to be able to, to conduct, but yet we require a centralized entity to conduct ourselves from you know Bitcoin to Ethereum or Ethereum to Bitcoin Cash or whatever it might be. We we go through some centralized entity, whether it be Binance or Kraken or Coinbase or whatever. Uh, but we much better, I think, from from almost every perspective, if we can move through one chain to another chain without being censored, without being KYC, without being asking for permission. In fact, when you want to say you want to send some Bitcoin and, and, and transfer it into Ethereum on the other side, the only actual requirement of ThorChain is that you can make a Bitcoin signature. That's literally the only thing. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to download this thing. You don't have to sign up for this thing. You don't have to do anything else. Just can you make a Bitcoin signature? You can. You got it. So when you think through um, kind of both problems, right? Because I think one of this is a centralized entity, meaning uh, the platforms. Uh, and then the second thing is what I'll just call kind of a common unit of account, right? So you're selling Bitcoin to go to a stable coin and then you're buying Ethereum um, a- as an example. Uh, let's start with the centralized entity. What are the big problems there uh, as to why uh, people should not uh, want to or, or, uh, or, or should be looking for decentralized solutions? I, that's a great question. And I don't even know where to start because there's so many places I could talk about, to be honest. So you could talk about the whole black box element to it, not really knowing how much they have, how much do they, are they actually solvent? Are they not solvent? Uh, you could talk about the complexities of it takes weeks to sign up for one of these things, which is ludicrous. My my uh, father-in-law just signed up for one of these services. I'm not going to name which one. And he bought some Ethereum and said like, oh, you can't take this off the system, off the network for nine days. He was just like, wait, well, I, why can't I get my own Ethereum? I just bought it. Why can't I take it off to my wallet? And he, it's just like, wait, what is this? What are we doing here? This just makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, not to mention the exchange have been hacked more than one time, we'll say. Uh, it's just, it's been a calamity almost from the beginning, starting from Mt. Gox, and we're still reliant on these systems. And I don't think anybody just like loves them in a sense. Everybody's like, we use them because it's the thing we have to use now. But like, I think we all are looking for a system that's more instantaneous, that's more readily available. That's, you can just use it right out of your wallet if you want to use it. It's just that simple. Yeah. And so then when you think about the unit of account, right, that idea that you've got to go from Bitcoin uh, into a stable coin, as an example, uh, before you buy another asset, uh, what, what's the issue there? Is it just an efficiency thing? Is there a cost uh, element to it? How do you think about that? 
Well, it's not just, I mean, it is, efficiency is one part of it, right? It is, it takes more time. If you want to swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum, it actually takes more time to do that on some central exchange than it would on, on Thorchain, for example. But like, the problem is that you're giving somebody else your Bitcoin, which is theirs at that point, and they're giving you like an IOU that you're kind of holding on to because you want to hold on to their IOU for whatever reason. And then you're going through a process in their, in their UI to swap from that to this to this, paying fees along the way, and then at some point in the future, requesting your Ethereum out, whatever that might be. That's just not a system that makes sense in the greater scheme of like how crypto works or how crypto was born out of. It's like, I want 100% accountability. I want to be able to 100% verify that everything is legitimate, everything's like real. And that's true with fortune. You can actually look at the wallets, know exactly how much money it has, how much it claims to have, and you'll see they're always the same. Like that's a really important concept that that we just don't have in a cross-chain perspective. We have it within like, you know, DEXs within Ethereum, like that worked extremely well, right? It was a great uh, platforms. But we're missing that core component of like, let's move Bitcoin to Ethereum, to Litecoin, to Binance, to whatever else. There's no, there's no, uh, it's complete neutrality. It's, we, the network doesn't really care. It's completely agnostic about what chain or asset you're talking about. It's just, we're going to treat everybody identically the same. For sure. When somebody asks you, what is ThorChain? How do you describe it? Well, the most like simple and succinct way of describing ThorChain is that it's like a, like a cross-chain Uniswap. Right. That's like the simplest way you can put it. That's kind of oversimplification in many respects. Uh, in a larger sense, I see it as um, the highways between blockchains, right? Because every blockchain today is a completely separated island onto itself and has very little relationship or connection to any other blockchain in the world for, for the most part. And so Thorchain is creating decentralized uh, um, highways that you can move from blockchain A to blockchain B, and it can theoretically connect with any blockchain. Not only in any blockchain, but any layer one or layer two solution, theoretically, you can do pretty much anything you wanted with it. And so when you talk about these highways, really what's happening here is it allows you for uh, the ability to swap uh, directly Bitcoin for Ethereum, right? So one, you don't have to use a centralized entity uh, in terms of uh, the, those exchanges we talked about, but also two is I don't have to sell an asset into that common unit of account. I can literally do an asset swap uh, between these various blockchains. And so Correct. how does that technically work? Like, what are you guys doing under the hood to make this uh, possible? Yeah, sure. So effectively, the ThorChain network has a, a whole host of different like uh, Bitcoin wallets that it kind of manages, if you want to call it that. And so whenever you send in a Bitcoin transaction into the our Bitcoin wallet that's managed by the network, all the different validators have their own copy of the Bitcoin full note they're running individually. And they're all looking at the Bitcoin blockchain. They're all saying, okay, I saw a pump send one Bitcoin into you know, our uh, Asgard vault address on the ThorChain network. And this is how much it was. And this is all the details. And then once a super majority of the nodes kind of all agree upon each other, like, oh, we all saw the same thing. Pump send one Bitcoin into ours. And he sent a, an op return or like a memo with an intention of like, I want to swap Bitcoin for Ethereum or for USDT or for whatever else. And so that they all kind of make that, that, that consensus that that transaction actually occurred. And then the network says, okay, Pomp tennis won one Bitcoin. He wants to get some Ethereum out. We do a calculation of how much Ethereum that would be on the, the, the continuous liquidity pools of the network. And then it sends out that Ethereum to whatever ETH address that you requested it on, uh, where, you know, OX something, 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 right? 
And so is this all being built by a single team? Uh, is this a distributed thing where there's just a bunch of kind of teams working on open source software? Like how exactly uh, was this originally built? And then how are you guys pushing forward, um, you know, and, and kind of continue to improve or innovate uh, around this? Yeah, I mean, it started with, with an initial team for sure. Um, it's a very small team. I think it's only like nine-ish people, 10-ish people on it for, for that matter. But it's very quickly grew much beyond that. And so there's actually like well over a dozen different teams building different aspects of the of the ecosystem. In fact, like more of the treasury that the, that the team has is being spent to fund ex, like other projects and other groups of people to build block explorers and to build dashboards and UIs and you know data science and now uh, analytics about this that and the other thing whatever it might be so the vast majority of actually the funds are actually going out to other people or other teams other than the team that that they originated it from and so when you think about why this is better um we talked a little bit about the, the lack of centralization. We talked a little bit about the lack of need for uh, that common unit of account. Uh, what else is better about this, right? Is this something that it's such a superior product that everyone's gonna go and adopt it? Is this gonna coexist with existing models? Just talk a little bit about how you see the uh, advantages of, of ThorChain uh, with some of the other players uh, in the space. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the big things here that is quite innovative is that, uh, that the ThorChain network allows people to, to earn yield on whatever assets they hold, right? So you can earn yield, you can supply Bitcoin to the network, just Bitcoin by itself, supply Bitcoin to the network. And then you can earn yield on that Bitcoin and then come back later and pull out more Bitcoin than you put in the system. How does that work? Well, it's effectively when you put just Bitcoin into, let's say the Bitcoin pool on, on ThorChain, every time somebody swaps in and out of Bitcoin going one direction or the other, a little bit of the fee is kind of left behind in the pool. And you're, you're effectively buying a percentage of that pool when you put your Bitcoin into it. It's like, oh, I'm going to take on, since 10% of the pool is, is my Bitcoin, so to speak, uh, I own 10% of the pool. So whenever there's a swap of like $100 fee came through, which is say for random number, 10% of that $100 is mine. And I made $10 uh, in, in value from that. And in my case, it would be in Bitcoin. And so you can actually like put in a bunch of Bitcoin and then come back later and have more Bitcoin than you had before. And that's just not just Bitcoin. That can be Ethereum, that can be Litecoin, that can be Tether, Ripple. I mean, whatever it is, your, your kind of cup of tea, it doesn't really matter. And that's, that's a first in this industry. And what is the average yield right now across those assets? Are we talking about like one or 2% or are we talking about like 50%? Uh, it's certainly closer to the 50%. Uh, you, you can look at the data. It's freely available. Anybody can check it and verify. You're welcome to. Uh, it ranges from some assets. Uh, some pools are much higher. Like I've seen some that are like 100 and something, 20% or something like this. That's not typical, but it can happen. Uh, and the majority of them are going to be around 30, 40, maybe 50%. Got it. And I'm assuming that that's a function of how much is in the pool and then how popular the swaps are, right? So if you have very few people who have contributed to a pool and it's a very popular uh, kind of asset to swap in and out of, then obviously that would lead to a higher, um, you know, kind of yield. And then the idea would be that's an incentive for more and more people to join that pool, provide more liquidity, and therefore that return then gets commoditized down over time. Right, right. Even even the, the amount of fee that you pay when you make a swap through a, a ThorChain pool is actually based upon the depth of the pool and the size of your trade. So if you're doing like if the pool's like, you know, 100 units and you're doing a 50 unit trade, so to speak, that's like a massive, you know, you're going to pay a huge slip fee in that scenario. But 
So for smaller cap pools, they're going to have a lower depth to it. So people are going to pay more on the swaps. And they do that. We already see that happening uh, over the last 10 months of, of, of economic activity. People are willing to pay higher amounts of fees for you know, this smaller cap pool. I mean, just, it's how the economics are actually functioning today. But for pools like you know, the Bitcoin pool or the Ethereum pool, which is going to be a lot deeper, the fees that people will pay will be far less than you would see on, like say, like a Uniswap. Yeah. And when you think of Uniswap uh, as kind of a um, the market leader, let's say, for decentralized exchanges, do you view them as uh, just kind of another player in the crypto ecosystem? Do you view them as, you know, quote unquote, competition? Are people making a direct choice between do I go and actually trade this asset on Uniswap versus use ThorChain? Just how, how do you see the relationship there? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, oh, so we're all fans of, of, of Uniswap. They, they really do some really great stuff over there for sure. Uh, I don't see them as direct competition per se. For for one, I, I see ThorChain as being more of a short tail asset than a long tail asset, meaning that you're not going to have every asset across the entire crypto space on ThorChain. You're going to have the most economically significant ones. And if you want some sort of small cap, illiquid edge coin, you can probably do that on Uniswap or SushiSwap or one of these guys. The difference is that ThorChain, whenever it manages a new asset, it has additional cost to the network. Whereas with Uniswap, it doesn't have significantly more cost to the network. So they can have as many assets as they want on the on that smart contract and it does it scales just fine. Whereas ThorChain has more and more cost for every asset that you add. You have to sign transactions and all these things that just kind of increase the amount of load on the network from that. So you're not going to see a bazillion assets on ThorChain, but even with the five chains that are currently supported now, it's already supporting like, you know, 92% of the entire, you know, cryptocurrency, you know, <laughs> industry, right? So it's already, I mean, even right now, the multi-chain chaos that we launched uh, a few days ago, a week ago, is already has more access to more funds than like Uniswap or SushiSwap because you have like Bitcoin, which is like the biggest, most important thing that like has to be supported, but it has been largely forgotten and just like left out for whatever reasons. And this is the first time like Bitcoin's being like brought into the fold of like, okay, Bitcoiners, you actually have access to real DeFi with layer one real Bitcoin, no pegged assets, no wrap, any of this stuff, like legitimately layer one Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah. When you think about uh, the recent Shapeshift uh, announcement, that was really fascinating to me. So Eric Voorhees, uh, it sounds like they decided to take the ThorChain um, kind of technology and, and infrastructure, and that's now what is powering their uh, exchange. So in effect, what they've done is they've basically put a front end on top of ThorChain, uh, and that's where their users are going and using that. One, yeah. is that correct? And then two, talk a little bit about uh, kind of the importance of somebody like Shapeshift uh, adopting this. Yeah, sure. I mean, Shapeshift is like one of the oldest and most respected, you know, uh, cross-chain, you know, swaps, like, in the industry, at least in my opinion, that's true. And like, and they've done an excellent job over the last you know few years. And, and their original vision was to be able to facilitate trades or swaps without using requiring KYC. And unfortunately, that didn't work out so well because the technology wasn't there at the time, and they got you know pressure from regulators to start doing KYC and all these things. We know the story. And so when Fortune came around and, and, and effectively was kind of fulfilling the, the original vision of Shapeshift they like saw that and they were like, oh, this is something we have to get on, on board with. And so now they have the ability to be able to, to swap between chains without requiring KYC at all. 
And if they wanted to, they, they, they're not doing this yet, but they might do it in the future. They can actually um, have ThorChain charge a fee on their behalf back to them if they want to using affiliate fees. So you can actually actually like create wallets that have interface with ThorChain to do some swaps, whatever. And you can actually, the wallet manufacturers can make money by integrating with ThorChain by using affiliate fees, like you know uh, one basis point or 10 basis points or whatever the wallet wants to charge per swap. Yeah, what's really fascinating is basically because you've built that piece of infrastructure, you now can have these front ends plug into uh, the system, right? Yep. And those front ends have a way to monetize, but also uh, they're essentially bringing you customers. They're doing customer acquisition. They're bringing you liquidity. Um, yep. And so, so it's a really fascinating model. And uh, ultimately it goes back to this thesis of like open systems are gonna beat the closed systems, right? Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Na naturally, you, you guys have built this open system that anyone can plug into. Yeah. yeah. It's an open protocol, right? No one controls the gates. It's, they're wide open for anybody who, use, who wants to use them. If Shapeshift wants to integrate with them, more power to them. If Trust Wallet or Exodus or Coindesk, uh, Coinbase, excuse me, if they want to integrate, hey, go at it. You know, it's, it's a freely available network for anybody to utilize however they see fit. That's how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we talked a little bit about uh, various ways people can participate. So they can go ahead and they can swap assets using ThorChain. Uh, they can provide assets to the liquidity pools. Uh, another element is they can basically uh, provide a node. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that you guys have a very unique uh, kind of mechanism around the nodes and, and they can be swapped out with each other. And, and yep. uh, just talk a little bit about uh, what that means for somebody to participate as a node and then how that entire system works. Yeah, yeah. So in order to participate with the node, um, you have a there's a capitalistic kind of um, uh, race, so to speak, to who gets added into the system. So you can you can walk up and say, "Hey, I'm ready to become a node," and then the network will say, "Okay, let me see you there." But every time it churns, which happens every three days or so, uh, the network will say, "All right, who are the most valuable people to churn in relative to the highest bond?" Right. So right now on on, on single chain ChaosNet, that's about uh, about $13 million like in room that you have to have in order to become a validator on, on the network. Not because like that's a, that we as a team had said, that's just literally what the capitalistic markets dictate that it you, that you make so much revenue running a node that it's worthwhile to spend $13 million buying enough room to run, to, to run one. That's literally what the, like the capitalistic markets dictate. Uh, and so, the network is designed that every three days it churns and, and some people get kicked out and some people get pulled in. And that's to ensure that everybody gets kicked out at some point in time. Every, there's, a, there's a continuous churn happening and nobody, there's nobody that stays in there forever. Uh, and at, over time, uh, every time the network churns, all the funds need to be migrated because every time the network churns, new threshold signature like vaults are created and the old ones are being retired. So all the Bitcoin and all the Binance and all the, all the assets have to be migrated programmatically to the new vault. And it happens just every three days. And it proves that, that the network actually has access to all these funds, right? Like if, if nobody signed transactions, maybe you lost the keys. <laughs> right? we, we've seen this where like, you know, certain exchanges, you know, the head honcho got arrested and then like, all the funds were locked up and you're like, well, I guess you have it, but you can't sign anything. So do you really have it? You know what I mean? And so like ThorChain proves that every three days by moving every coin, every Satoshi, every, every asset across to a new vault every three days just to prove that it has access to every single uh, asset that it holds. I love it. Uh, you mentioned Rune, uh, which is the token within the ThorChain system. Describe why you need that. 
Yeah, you actually require room. Like it's kind of, it's counterintuitive to some degree, but I'll explain why. Like if you would use something that wasn't room, like let's say use Bitcoin as the, the base asset of the network, which from a technological perspective is a little bit impractical due to the slow block times, but it is feasible, it is possible. But the problem with that is if you secure the assets with an external asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Tether or whatever, the economic incentives are incorrect in the network and that somebody will attack the network and steal all the funds and make a huge amount of profit, right? So say like just for, 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 for kind of game theory this out, say there's like $75 million of bond that the validators are running with and then the pools have about $30 million of, uh, of assets, right? Uh, and say we're doing Bitcoin first. So it's like $75 million of Bitcoin and then uh, $25 million, of, uh, sorry, $15 million of Bitcoin and $15 million of other various assets. So, because every pool is composed of Bitcoin and something else in this scenario. So if I were to get enough Bitcoin to cyber attack the network and get like a super majority, so say I, need, I bought $50 million worth of Bitcoin to attack the side of it out of the 75 million that are used, I can go ahead and take ownership of everything and have a complete access to everything and do whatever the hell I want because I have a super majority of notes, right? I can do the hell I want to do. So I can go ahead and seal the 75 million, including the 50 million that I put in the beginning, plus the 30 million over here. So that's $105 million. So I spent $50 million to steal $105 million worth of assets. I'm great. I'm doing, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I just double my money. I scanned the hell out of this network. I sold all the money. I'm like, great, you know, <laughs> right? But if it was Rune, it's very different. It's actually a very different behavior. So if it's $75 million of the Rune and then $15 million of Rune here and then $15 million of Bitcoin, Ethereum and various other assets, and say I spent $50 million of Rune to cyber attack the network. So in the end, I have the 75 million Rune here, the 15 million Rune, that's about $90 million. And then I have $15 million of various assets. But that $90 million I spent that I have a Rune is worth nothing because the value of rooms is, is derived from the value of the network. And if the network's hacked and all the funds are gone, who the hell is gonna to wanna to buy a room? Nobody. It destroys the capitalistic system like of that token instantaneously. So I spent $50 million to get $90 million a room that all that goes to zero. And I actually walk away with all the Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything else, which is worth $15 million. So great, I spent $50 million to steal $15 million, I just lost $35 million in that, in that transaction. You literally cannot secure these assets with another asset like Bitcoin. As great as Bitcoin is, I'm not even shitting on Bitcoin right now. Bitcoin's amazing, but you cannot use it for this, this application purpose. You have to have a token that is, is its value is solely derived from the value of the network itself. Do token holders get a percentage of those transaction fees in the liquidity pool as well? Or does all of those transaction fees go into the liquidity pool and for whoever's participating? That's actually a really great question. So anytime the system makes income, right, either that's block rewards, either that's um, LP, you know, swapping, all this kind of thing, downstream, we're, we're talk, talking about uh, lending and borrowing to increase um, uh, revenue for the network. But anytime that happens, that is a, a considered to be a system income. And that gets divvied up between the liquidity providers and the node operators in a way relative to the, the, the difference between the Bitcoin, that's the, the rune on one side and the rune on the other. The network is, has a, what's called an incentive pendulum to say that, okay, if it's even what it's supposed to be, which is uh, one, uh, two thirds on the, on the node side and one third on the pool side, they'll get a 50-50 split between the two of them. But if, they get, if the bond gets too high and it's like it gets overbonded, 
then the bonders make less money and more money goes to the liquidity providers on this side. So that incentivizes people to pump more money on this side or take money out of this side and move it to this side to go back to that kind of equal, like equilateral like pendulum swing of the middle to ensure that. So everybody profits from the system no matter what role you're taking into it. And it ensures everybody profits in an equal way relative to the economics of the situation at that moment. And is it possible for somebody to own Rune without provide, uh, participating in the liquidity pool or uh, being a node operator? Correct. Yeah, you can you can hodl it in your wallet if you really want to. You know, more power to you. I think, but the, I think most people aren't going to do that because you can just turn it into uh, instead of just being dead capital or sitting in a wallet, not really doing much for you. Why not make it work for you and actually generate a yield from that? If you want to do that, have at it. You know, go nuts. If you don't hold in your wallet, that's fine too. Up to you. Yeah. What's been the biggest surprise for you working on this? Oh, the biggest surprise. Um, this thing, it just felt like this thing blew up so fast, so quick. <laughs> like, like, like it, when I first started working on the project in, in mid 2019 and, and, you know, committing the first lines of code and everything, like, it, it, we, we, even at that time, we knew that this was something interesting, something special, but you, you, you just can't fathom like how far it will go. Like it's just, it's just almost ridiculous. Like I remember we were like just joking around, like, like imagine if Rune hit like 10 cents, like would that be like insane? <laughs> and now it's at like $15 or whatever the hell the price is right now. Like it, it was just like, it was to see it kind of go from that kind of initial vision that the team had and then grow into this like gargantuan thing that actually launched and actually supports cross-chain swaps just in a way that's permissionless and censorship resistant uh, is absolutely remarkable. I, I, I could not have, you know, I, I can't get over it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's the impact on decentralized finance, regardless of where it happens, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, when you have this kind of cross-chain swap, uh, does that just provide a foundation for more, faster, um, and kind of better innovation and adoption? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, like up until this point, Ethereum has been kind of a DeFi king, right? Like that's pretty un inarguable in a sense. And that's largely because uh, Ethereum's programming language was much more flexible and powerful than Bitcoin. Bitcoin's was like very kind of weak, not much you can really do with it for the most part. And then Ethereum came along and said, hey, you can do some really, you know, you have a turning complete language called Solidity and you can do all these kind of interesting things, which is great. But once you have something like a Thorchain that's written on top of the Cosmos network, you have a much more powerful and much more flexible system that you can build and construct. You literally cannot build Thorchain like on top of the Ethereum system. You just like fundamentally just won't, won't even enter, come out the door, right? Why not? And so, well, because you need value, your own, the security of your own network to secure external assets. You can't rely on Ethereum security to, to, to secure an unknown amount of assets on Bitcoin and Litecoin and all these other things. You need, uh, you need validator nodes, your own validator nodes that are incentivized to be observing transactions on Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these, all these other, other blockchains in order to make that viable or possible. Furthermore, like even, you know, an Ethereum um, transaction, it's, it's cost is like goes up remarkably high, the more complicated a computation is or the more data intensive it is. And, and that's not gonna be economically feasible on Ethereum. You have to do it on your own kind of native sovereign chain, which is what Thorchain is. I think that Ethereum will uh, still have a place in the future, 
But any DeFi application that wants to be worth its, its salt will have to support the entirety of the crypto sphere, not just the Ethereum people or the, these people over here, but just say, you can walk up with your Bitcoin, with your this, with your that, with whatever, and you get treated with the same exact access as anybody else. So Thorchain has access to like over $2 trillion worth of liquidity around like the crypto sphere. And, you know, uh, uh, Uniswap has access to like, I think it's like $450 billion if you do all the ERC-20s and Ethereum together. That's like, you know, a sliver relative to what Thorchain has access to. So the liquidity will end up being on a chain like Thorchain for sure, because that's where you can actually swap from one place to another in a way that actually makes like real sense. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, before I let you go, I've got three questions that I ask everyone, then you'll get to ask me one to finish up. Uh, first is, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Uh, most important book I ever read is a, is a, it's a boring thing. It's a, it's a coding book, but I'm not going to say it because <laughs> that's going to be too boring for people. I think more, a more fun answer is um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote a book called uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. It's a great book. Uh, it really gives you a great understanding of astrophysics if you're, if you're interested in the topic like I am. Second question comes from our friends over at Eight Sleep. Uh, I used to sleep like five or six hours and then I got this uh, thermoregulated bed. Basically I make it super cold and sleep like a baby now and have become a full convert to the, uh, the sleep religion. Uh, what's your sleep schedule like? Do you sleep a lot and how has that changed over time? Well, we just launched all that chain a week ago. So it's not, <laughs> it's not quite like well rested. I'll say that. And also have to mention my wife is about to give birth in like a week, literally. So. I'm sure my sleep is going to be even worse, you know, in the coming few months after uh, my baby girl gets here. Uh, that's going to be, you know, a venture onto its own for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that, that's Those are two acceptable answers as to why to not get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, last question for you, then you get to ask me one is aliens. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I definitely a believer for sure. I mean, if you think about it, like what are the most, uh, common elements in the universe, the most like plentiful elements. It's helium uh, in this water, helium, hydrogen, uh, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. Those are the most pot, most common in that order, most common elements in the universe. What are the most common elements in the human body, right? Or this life itself? Well, hydrogen, hmm, what well, is interesting. Not helium, helium is a noble gas, it doesn't combine with anything, so it's like a, a, a block you can't build anything with. But oxygen, and, uh, nitrogen, carbon, all these things, we are comprised of the same things of the most plentiful resource on the entire universe. <laughs> so it makes no sense if we were the only ones, right? Even, even carbon, carbon, we are carbon-based because uh, the you can make more molecules of carbon than you can with every other element combined. It's an extraordinarily powerful uh, molecule, which is why we're made of it. And it's also five times more common than another element like silicon, which is conceptually has some similarity to it. So are, are, they, are we around uh, other aliens? Absolutely sure. I mean, if you're going to make the statement, if you can make the reverse statement, so I'm going to go a little tangent here, but if you're going to make the reverse statement that we are the only thing in the universe, then you have to come up with a reason of how, what infinitesimally small pot like thing that happened to us on this little blue, a pale blue dot, uh, as, as Carl Sagan once called it. And, and that'd be, that's a hard, like, that's a hard idea. Like nobody has actually yet come up with an idea of how that was feasible, especially when you consider that like there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the entire planet earth. So you, it would have to be so rare that you have to win the lottery 
every day for a few years sequentially, that's how like rare it would be that we survived and we are the ones that existed. Nobody else exists in the entire universe. I have a hard time believing that. It makes, makes much, much more logical sense that the most abundant resource created more of us, more like carbon-based life forms than this infinitesimally small thing we're talking about where this one little pail of blue dot got something for some reason. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> I think that may be one of the best answers we've ever had. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry if I went a little bit of a science rant there. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a nerd, might be a little tough. But <laughs> what, what one question do you have for me to uh, to wrap us up? My question for you is like, what are your feelings on uh, tribalism? Like, people are you, know, you have some you know Bitcoin maxis, ETH maxis, even Rune maxis. Like, how do you feel? Is this a good thing for the space? Is it a bad thing in the space? Are we heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? Like, how do you feel about that? I don't think the world's binary, so I don't think that it's all good or all bad. I actually think the truth somewhere in between. Um, when you think about uh, the good sides of it, there's definitely, you know, like kind of like the hardcore Bitcoin argument would be like, oh, it's the immune system, right? It's the people who don't take anyone else's shit and they kind of, um, you know, really uh, adhere to truth and, and kind of keep people focused and all of that. So there's definitely truth in that. Uh, the bad side is uh, you can turn away people who may actually uh, be, you know, genuine actors and, and interested. And, and uh, I always say that you can, um, you can be a maximalist without being an asshole as well right <laughs> like, like that is a possible thing wait wait, to wait, do. wait wait what did you say <laughs> and, and, and 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 that is uh across the spectrum right i, I think that like uh every single community every single tribe has uh extremes to it and also people who are more centrist right it's, it's basically just like politics right yeah. you can have multiple political parties and then you'll have the extremists in every political party and then you have people who are more centrist in those political parties sure. um and, and so i think that just we all have to realize that like in many cases, we all actually have the same goal or the same finish line in mind. It's simply that the path to get there, uh, sometimes there's disagreement and sometimes it's actually just people wanna work on different things, they're interested in different things and that's all okay. Yeah, no, that's a great answer, it's a great answer. Yeah, uh, where uh, where can we send people to find you on the internet or find more about ThorChain? Well, don't find me, I'm not, I'm not that important, but you can find uh, ThorChain at, at, at ThorChain. Um, there's lots of people you can follow within the community, uh, like Bitcoin Sage and Mihao Brains and all these great people that are in this community. You can go ahead and follow them. Don't follow me. I'm useless. <laughs> is there a website uh, where people can go as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Thorchain.org is, is one of our sites. You can check it out, read the docs. Um, there's some great explainers on rebase as well. If you want to get to the nitty gritty of it all, it is a very complicated system. It does take a while to learn. Um, just as it takes a while to learn Bitcoin in its true form, at least. Uh, so I encourage people to, to, to look and to read and to understand. The more you read about it, the more you realize that something really significantly happening here. Yeah. Uh, awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, it's very cool to see people adopting uh, something that you guys have built. So uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bob. Appreciate it.